Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Kim Hamer, who is the author of 100 Acts of Love, and she is also a speaker and business owner. Kim, how are you doing? Good. It's good to be here, Timmy. It's fantastic to have you, and we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Well, I'm going to do what some of your other guests have done, which is I'm going to start with what I like to do with fun first. Um, So I am a big, huge outdoor advocate. So I live in LA. So one of the things I love to do for fun is actually go hiking. Um, And I have not been able to go hiking because I just had total knee replacement surgery. Super excited to get back out there pain-free because it's been very painful hiking over these past five or six years. Gotcha. How long does it take to recover from that? Yeah, that's the problem. Um, It is. I am one month out and I've moved from a, from a, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting the name on purpose, the the walker to the cane. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I'll be cane free by next week. Um, They're saying minimum of three months, maximum of a year to 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this is no joke of a surgery. I, did not really fully comprehend what I was biting off when I did it, but I needed to be pain-free. I got you. I got yeah. you. Well, awesome. So you love to hike, you love the outdoors, but what fills your time now that you can't hike? Like what are your, right. <laughs> well, it was filling my time beforehand, but what I really love doing is helping managers learn how to work with employees who are dealing with cancer loss or depression. Um, as you know, there is, you know, cancer and death happen all the time at work. They happen to people in our lives all the time. You don't have to be a certain age for it to happen. And what I found in the field, I'm an HR leader. And what I found um, several years ago was that most managers don't know what to do or what to say. And that negatively impacts not just their relationship with the employee who's going through this, but the relationship with the team, the productivity and the employee engagement of the team as well. Um, and when you're dealing with managers who are front lines, who are the people who you cause, I think it's something like 70% of people who leave jobs, they leave because of their managers. So, you know, managers are highly influential individuals and they just simply don't have the tools to really understand, like, what do I say? What do I do? How do I, you know, someone's got cancer and they're only going to be in three days a week for six months. How do I, how do I work with them? Um, or a team member just died. How do we as a team work through the grief of of the loss of this person? So that's what I now spend my time doing. Mm. So I feel like the next question is obvious before we kind of go through the list I usually have, but how does one go about <laughs> dealing with that trauma? And Yeah, so um, it's a little bit longer conversation than we have, but I've developed a strategy called the North Star Strategy. And what I do want to share with your um, readers is that I had a personal experience with cancer. My husband was diagnosed with cancer twice, and then he died at the age of 44. 
And at the time, our kids were 12, 9, and 7. And something I noticed during both those cancer entanglements and after he died was some people knew exactly what to do and what to say, but most people didn't. And in trying to figure out what to do or say, some people said cruel things. They didn't mean to be cruel, but they were saying cruel things. Um, a lot of friends backed away because they were terrified. And so that's actually how the book came about was after my husband died several years later, I just felt this need to write this book for those people who didn't know what to say or what to do, which by the way, I was one of them until my husband was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and one of the things that made this journey bearable, um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's extraordinary painful to lose someone you care about, someone you think you're going to spend the rest of your life with, is that when people did things for us, it was like they were saying, we love you. So we're going to pick the kids up from school today and you're not going to get them back till Saturday morning at 10. We love you. We'll pick up arts prescriptions for you. We love you. We'll take, we'll drive him to the cancer treatment center. We'll love you. We're going to wash your car. We love you. And so that's why I called it 100 acts of love because it's, it, that's what it feels like. And I really want to make sure that managers and teams and organizations have the opportunity to do those acts of love in a, in a more professional manner for employees, because it makes such a huge difference. I'm not here because I'm like, oh, I got through my husband, you know, I just oh, I powered through my husband's loss. I am here. I stand on a foundation of those people who showed up in the most dire part, hopefully the worst life experience I will have. Um, they showed up and they kept showing up. And I was able, because of that, I was able to kind of pick myself up and help have other people help pick me up and move forward. And I just want to make sure that organizations have that opportunity to do that for their employees as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for sharing that. First off. Sure. So I will tell you this, I have a five-step process, but the one thing I always say, the first thing you need to do when someone you care about is dealing with something is you need to say something, say something. However, the one thing I want everyone never to say again is if you need anything, let me know. And it rolls off our tongues, right? It just feels like we're being really, really, really helpful. It's like, if you need anything, let me know. And you really do mean anything in the moment. You know, if someone said, I really want beluga caviar straight from Russia, you'd be like, okay, like book the flight to Russia. you like, you would, in the moment, it feels like anything, but that's not, it's not a helpful phrase for four specific reasons. One, we need to connect with the what's happening. And I often tell the story of imagine that something really great has happened to you. You've gotten married, or you just got engaged, you just had a baby, you just bought a house, you went on this fantastic vacation, and you're having lunch with six people who know 100% that this great thing has happened to you. And no one says anything during the entire lunch. You don't feel so good. It feels horrible. You no one's asked. You have this great thing. You want to talk about it. You want to share. And no one has asked and no one has listened. And that's the exact same thing that happens when someone you care about is going through a difficult time. When you ignore it, when you don't acknowledge it, when you don't sit in the discomfort of it just for a few seconds with them, you are basically saying to them, eh, you know, who cares? It doesn't, you know, you'll, you'll get over it. You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So that phrase doesn't, doesn't acknowledge it. The second thing, the phrase is, Timmy, what is anything? Now I am, I'm assuming I'm a little bit older than you. I probably got 20 years on you. 
And um, <laughs> although, you know, you know, we don't know, um, <laughs> but I probably got about 20 years on you. And like I had a toddler in preschool. Would your 16 year old self be willing to drive up to that preschool to pick up my vomiting toddler? Or did you mean that you were just going to be happy to help mow, you know, mow my lawn, right? Did no. you mean you're bring a bottle of wine or are you going to read to my dying husband? What is anything? It's too big a word. The third reason it's not helpful is now you are putting the pressure on the person who's already under a great amount of pressure, right? I often say they may look like they have 52 decks in the card, but they're missing some cards. So they're kind of out of their mind. Now you're asking them to break down their day to find one thing that you might be able to help them with, right? And and like I would run out of toothpaste. I distinctly remember cooking pasta, boiling the water, going in the cabinet to get the pasta and there was no pasta, right? So right then and there, what I needed was pasta, but I didn't feel comfortable calling someone up and being like, hey, um, I need pasta like now, like, you know, so, so now you're asking me to come up with all these different things that break apart my life and to think about one thing that you might do. And then the fourth reason it's not helpful is because you're asking me, like we live in the United States and wherever you are in the world, in most countries, we're not really good at asking for support. We're not really good at going, hey, yeah, everyone, please help me. Like, I, I need help. Please help. We're not good at that. So now you're asking this person who's already, their life is crazy. They're already feeling vulnerable. They have so much on their plate. And they know when they ask you to do something that it's going to put you out, that you're not, you're going to have to put something aside to take care of them. They're not going to ask. Why on earth would they put themselves in a position where they could possibly risk you saying no or feel like they're putting a burden on you? They're not going to ask. So that's why that phrase is so not helpful. But what you can do on the other side is the first thing is you can acknowledge it. And really, y'all, a simple, I am so sorry this, this is what you're going through right now. Like this, use use the vernacular that you would use. Wow, man, this sucks. You know, whatever it is, however you talk to that person, acknowledge what they're going through, right? And you don't have to be serious. You can be like, whew, you know, you certainly know how to get sick. You know, you can, you can have that sense of humor if that's the kind of relationship you have with them. Yeah. And then the second thing you want to do is you want to offer something specific, we are all have our own helping superpowers and we don't consider them helping superpowers because they're just things we like to do, right? So, so you know, I, I don't like to go grocery shopping, but I'm a good grocery shopper. And what I mean by that is I know where to get everything. And if they're out of something, I track down the person and I find out when it's going to come in and I meet that truck at the store on the day. So that's my, that's my superpower. So that's something that I offer to people and you want to offer more than once because again, that person, who is dealing, who may look like they have 52 decks in their car, 52 cards in their deck. They do not. And so you want to remind them that you are there. And when you do that, you're not pestering them unless you're offering every single day, but you're not pestering them. What you are doing is you're letting them know, I am here for you. This is how I'm willing to help you. And please call me. You're giving them permission to put you out, you know, out sort of, you know, I, I'm willing to do this for you. So you're giving them permission to call you and to ask for that thing. And they don't have to worry about being rejected. So that's, that's 
that's one of the biggest things I, and it's even in my book, it's the first chapter. It's the only, cha- it's the only chapter that has only one act of love in it. And that is, you know, it's a really hard phrase to remove from your, from your stance. Cause it's something we have all been taught to say. And no one has ever, even very few people have ever told us to say it. We just kind of watch other people say it. So we figure that's what to say, but it is the least helpful thing that you can say to somebody. I gotcha. I gotcha. And that is step one of five, right? Yeah. The step one of five is so the five steps are you one, you need to speak Two, you need to check yourself, check your feelings and check your stereotypes about whatever it is that they're going through, because whatever stereotype you have in your mind about someone who has cancer and what they should be doing that if you if you don't get clear on it, get it out of your head and onto paper, that will affect how you work with that employee. The third step is do an assessment, really take a good look of what your where your team is, understand exactly what your employee is doing, understand what you need to be, get done over the next you know quarter. So really get a full picture of that. And then that's where you take that thoughtful action, that's step four. And that thoughtful action can be the team coming together and making sure that person has meals every day to sitting down and having those frank, honest conversations where you're setting boundaries with your employee about, you know, asking what they can do, what they can't do, what are they willing to commit to doing and doing that check-in. It includes communication plans. It includes how the organization wants to support them. And then the fifth step, which is a vital step is to take that time to reflect and repeat. So what has worked over those last few days that you've implemented this or the last hour or the last months and what hasn't worked and what do you need to change and what other conversations do you need to have? So those are the five steps I call the North Star strategy. There we go. I love it. Um, I really like that part of thoughtful action, whether that be making sure they have meals or having the hard conversations of setting the new expectations. So there's just clarity. My fiance likes to say clarity is kindness. And I think that. Yes, be- yes, yes. There's a there's a great book by Kim. I have it somewhere. It's called Radical Candor. Yeah. Right. And so it's not being mean, but and when your when your team is in crisis, they are looking to you to understand what to do. And even if you don't know what to do, that's okay. But you can be really clear on, hey, y'all, I don't really know what to do, but I'm going to have a conversation and we'll figure this out. We will learn what to do and I'll get back to you in three days. Right. So people know that that some you're working behind the scenes. Um, and look, clarity is this this process that I have takes courage. This is not for the manager who doesn't want to become a better manager. This is not for the manager who's like on his way out on her, his way out and doesn't really care. This is not for the manager who's not willing to take a look at their own stuff to be, to, to grow. This is for the manager that goes, Hey, this is a crappy situation. I don't know what to do, but I know that there's an answer out there and I'm scared. Right. If you're not scared as a manager when you're managing an employee who's dealing with these issues, then you're probably not a great manager. I mean, I got to be really honest, you know, Um, so it takes courage to sit down with your employee and say, you know, after they've been working for a month and they're missing the goals that you put out, they're missing the project deadlines that you two agreed on. It takes courage to sit down with someone who's dealing with cancer, fighting for their life and saying, hey, look, this isn't this isn't working. 
Um, we need to readjust. Let's have a conversation about what you can do and what you can't do. We want you here. I know how important it is. I want you here, but this, but your lack of meeting the project deadlines is causing the team a lot of stress and it's causing us stress and it's probably causing you stress. So let's have a more detailed conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like most people, um, there might be an initial emotional reaction. There might not, but it'll be easy to understand that their problem is also affecting other people. And yes, like, it's just intertwined. It is. Yes, yes, yes. And sometimes you have to remind them of that because the employee, look, whatever they're going through, they're, they've got blinders on. You know, it's cancer. They're, they're fighting for their lives. They're, they've got blinders on. So they're not able to even see the effects of their behavior because it's all about them. And truly it is all about them for the moment. And so as a manager, you might need to remind them that, hey, this is not all about you, actually. We care about you. We love you. We want to help you. And we still have deadlines that need to get made. Um, really quick, one of the biggest mistakes I see managers make, other than saying, if you need anything, let me know, is take all the time that you need, right? So we come at that as a, from a manager's point of view as, oh my gosh, this is a crisis. I want to support you anyway. Take all the time that you need. Well, if you're dealing with a grieving employee, all the time that you need could be two weeks or they could see it as a month or six weeks. And now you've just kind of given this free for all without any guidelines. Um, and so what I say to managers is just say, hey, take a week. I will check in with you next Monday. Let them know when you're going to check in because you have to have those conversations. They're uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk to someone whose child just died. I mean, that just, it, it's sick. It just feels horrible. And you still have work to get done. Yeah. So there is that balance between those two that I think most managers don't realize is there. Mm, absolutely. Well, we've heard a lot about your story and your five-step process, but if you had to put your motivation in a sentence, the thing that gets you up and keeps you going every day, what would that be? I want people to really know how much they matter. Mm. I love that. That's really, that's really what this is all about. You know, if people didn't think they mattered, I wouldn't be here. You know, I'd still, I'd still be struggling if just, just, you know, we forget how important we are in the lives of our friends. And so we downplay that. And when there's a crisis, we just figure someone else does it, or they don't really need my help. Cause I offered, I said, if you need anything, let me know several times. And we kind of shirk away and no, don't shirk, move forward, step into it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just curious, what what's your vision for your book and your business? You know, you wrote the book, 100 Acts of Love, which I feel like can help managers, but can also just help people in general yes. who are dealing with depression and cancer. Um, but yeah, what's your vision for your company and the impact that you want your book to have? So the mission for my company is to um, is to positively affect, allow one million man, one million employees via 80 via teaching 80,000 managers how to show up for their employee dealing with crisis by 2036. So that's my mission. My vision is, is basically the same to remind managers how much and influential they are and how much they matter in the lives of their employees. Um, because again, I just think that we middle management gets really kind of screwed all the time. You know, if you're in the C-suite, you get coaching, you've got trainings and, and a lot of companies work really hard to give their middle management training, 
but they don't do much to reinforce the training. They kind of say, here, sit in front of a computer or go to a course. They don't follow up with the training. They don't, you know, they don't help them implement it. They don't check in with them. Changing the way you manage takes time and support. And, um, and it's really tough. So I want to make sure that these managers have these tools. They can feel really good about themselves, about their capability of managing um, difficult, chaotic situations. Because if you can manage a chaotic situation, man, you can manage almost anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're working with these 80,000 managers, are you working with them on a one-on-one basis? Is it kind of group management within a company and you go from company to company? How does that typically works. So right now I am doing one-to-one I'm working with, like I'm working with organizations. So a company will call me and say, Hey, we just, our employee died. Can you come in? And so I will, I, I come in for anywhere between three to four days. I do a check-in at a month and then another check-in at six weeks and two months to make sure that, that they're kind of moving forward. Um, I just have, I'm working on a contract with a big organization to become part of their, um, part of their training vehicle so that, so that when a manager, when a man, when an employee commits suicide, a manager goes, okay, where are my tools? And they can access those tools right away. Um, and also have some, some access to me as well. So that's sort of, that's, that's the big dream is to be in, you know, this big and small organizations, but mostly to focus on organizations that are really employee centered, that understand that, that, that have that heart um, and want to make sure that their, their employees have the tools that they need to be, you know, to be excellent employees and, and to, you know, do just have discretionary effort to give discretionary effort when they do their jobs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I'm glad that you said that. Cause I was about to ask, do you ever see it becoming a proactive thing where it's not like an employee just died, call you in, but training managers beforehand and you're already on that route? It seems. I hope so. I hope so. You know, it's really hard because as a manager, you're like, you're already overwhelmed. You've got work. Your boss just dropped a whole bunch of stuff on your desk and said, this dude, do in a week. You've got to move projects around. You know, you've got an employee who, who just left, you know, and you're trying to find a replacement. You know, you're already so overwhelmed. So the idea of preparing yourself for an employee who has cancer isn't really top of the top of the line top of mind but i think if organizations really understand how important it is they'll at least have something to offer them um you know hr teams are where employees go when this happens so i'm hoping that hr teams can really kind of say okay we have this and then when this happens you're going to read these you know watch these you know, modules in an hour. And then we're going to call Kim and she's going to come in and help work with you specifically and or, or Kim's client service person. I gotcha. I gotcha. Do you ever see it being something that a person who is aspiring to become a manager could get almost as a certification to make them, you know, more relevant in a management interview or something like that? Well, Timmy, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really serious. That's a brilliant idea. You know, it's, it's a manager training certificate. So you get cert- certified in in kind of health crisis management. So you, I, that is a brilliant idea. I love that. And yeah, because these are all, you know, you need a series of tools. You all, you know, it become, I, you know, I've managed for years and it's just, it's, it's, I learned by doing, I learned by making a lot of mistakes is how I learn, yeah. right? Um, and so if I had a tool to deal with the employee who just told me that they have cancer and that it's terminal and that they want to work until they can't work anymore, heck, I would love to be like, oh, where's that book? 
you know, I still have, I have a PHR, which is a, a certificate you can get in, in HR. And I still have, I'm looking at the books that they, they have several books that they gave. And I refer to them. I'm like, oh, wait, what was that thing? Weingarten law, you know, what the Weingarten rule? I got to look that up. So yes, I think that's a brilliant idea. Thank you. I'll yep. give you a little something on the side once that launches. <laughs> there we go. It's a little go. gift in about five years. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, awesome. So we got positively impact 1 million employees by working with 80,000 managers and specifically reminding those managers how much they matter in the life yeah. of employees. Are there any other dreams or goals that you want to chat about before we move on? I think the other big one is I really want to spend a lot of time speaking to as many people as I possibly can, you know, letting them all know. I think one of the things that that made me realize, look, we my my husband and I managed to build a community. And so when he got sick, wherever we lived, we built these communities. And when he got sick, people from all those communities came forward to help. And and a friend of mine once said, you know, that was one of the hardest and most beautiful things because they people met each other in our community. They met each other at their door at our doorstep and became friends and are still friends now. They met each other at my husband's service and they became friends and still friends now. So I think the idea of building this community is really important. And I think that we forget, we have forgotten because of where we are with social media and with society, how important that community is. So I would like to really spend some time teaching people how to get out of their comfort zone and reach out and build their own personal communities that they can be a part of to support or to be supported by. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I will be telling my age here. I don't mind telling it. Uh, I recently emerged into adulthood not too long ago. Okay, see, I told you. I'm like 30 years older than you. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. Um, Yeah, Minimum. with that, I think we left a great community in college and we yes looking for that in adulthood. Yes. It's been harder to find. So what are some of the kind of fundamental things you need to do to build a solid community as an adult in America, let's say, because I don't know how all countries work, but yeah, at least America. I love that question. So my son is 25. Um, I have three kids, 25, 23, and 20. My youngest one's still in college, still has this community. My my middle child and my oldest child do not. They're no longer in college. And so, you know, one of the things, it's really funny. Um, we had some thefts going on around here um, with people taking packages. I live in an apartment building that's, that's you know, gated, gated but they were people were take, getting in and stealing packages. So our apartment manager reached out and said, hey, why don't you all just exchange phone numbers and take each other's packages if you trust them, right? So I go downstairs and I see a package for my next door neighbors. I grab it. And then I knock on the door and I give it to them. So I know that seems really small, really, really like this is going to really build a community, but it does because they came to pick up their, actually, I didn't give it to them. They came to pick up their packages and we sat and talked for 15 minutes and I learned a lot about them, right? They're fairly young. They're Muslim. Um, This was the first, she's, she's a doctor. She's in a residency. This is her first two week vacation. She got to take, you know, like I, and I learned that they're into hiking, which I'm into. So guess what I'm going to do when I go out for my first hike or maybe my first three or four mile, like I'm going to text them and say, Hey, you guys want to go this weekend? Right. So, so there's, it's the simple thing 
things. I think it's about being, I think it's about being kind. So I think it start, can start where you live. Um, I think work is a great place to build community, but unfortunately, I know we've sold you all the wrong thing. Like when you get to work, there's no, it's not like high school at all. It's just like high school. Like, like work is just like high school, right? Yeah. You have the mean, mean girls and boys, you have the star student who everybody loves and you're really suspicious of, right? But it takes, but you can find your people at work. And you find your people at work. This is where the courage comes in. We spend so much time worried about what other people are going to think. I'm home on a Saturday night. I bet you they're not home. They're probably out. We assume these things about other people. They're out partying and here I am doing nothing. And they're probably home on a Saturday night going, no, 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 I don't, I, yeah. he's out, Timmy's out partying, doing all this stuff and I'm doing nothing, right? So it takes that courage to reach out. If you like someone at work, ask to have lunch with them. If you really, if lunch goes really well, say, Hey, you want to hang out after work or, Hey, there's this movie that I went to. Do you want to go with it? Go, you know, I want to see it. Do you want to go with me? Well, since we're going, do you want to grab a bite to eat? Right. And it's that, it's that work you, it's, it doesn't come as easy in college is really easy because you bump into someone and then that person knows someone next thing, you know, your group friend has just expanded from three to 15. And then sometimes they break apart, but you just kind of fall back together again. Well, you just have to work at it. And I think that's something that we, for some reason, we make the mistake and we just assume that we're going to make friends. And in order to make friends, in order to build a community, you have to, you have to reach out and consistently reach out and you can't take it personally just because they haven't texted you back. Right. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they don't want to go with you. You can say, hey, I invited you three times. Should I not invite you anymore? And you're giving them the out of, yeah, well, you know, I'm so busy right now. Great. Now, you know, that's not an avenue to go after. But if you get in your own head and start to tell yourself stories, which we all do, we tell ourselves how they're and, and, and usually the end of the story is it ends with them being a jerk. Right. Because yep. it's never it ends with them being a jerk and, you know, it, you know, non-responsive. We have to stop the storytelling because when we st we tell those negative stories, we end up putting those negative stories back out into the world and having those negative expectations. And and I'm a big believer in the universe. If you think that you, if you think that people are mean to you, the universe goes, yeah, you're right, and you see it over and over and over again. If you think people are kind to you, the universe goes, yeah, you're right, and you see it over and over again. You whatever you put out into the world is what you see. So that's a very long answer for that, for that. But I think it starts with having the courage to reach out and do it again and again and again and again and again. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I specifically like the small things you pointed out, because I think something that was really easy to do in college, because especially I went to Davidson College. So it was a small liberal arts college, total student population of 2000. Yeah, yeah. And it was a residential college, which means everybody lived on campus. Yeah, Everybody was a three-minute walk from one another. Yes. And so anytime you wanted to hang out, it was a text, a four-minute walk, and here I am, here we're hanging yep. out. Now it'll be like a 30-minute drive, and you got oh, yeah. schedules, and it's like... <laughs> I don't know if that's worth it. Yeah. It's like, do you really, do we need to go at five today? Cause that means I'm going to be in traffic for 30 extra minutes. Nope. Can we maybe meet at eight? Well, eight's really late. Cause I like to go to bed early. Like, uh -huh. you know, yeah, <laughs> it's work. It is work. It yep. is work. And it is my, like, it's the purpose that I'm here. It's my soul, right? If I don't reach out to those friends, if I don't continually make the effort to reach out to them, even if I haven't heard from them in a while and they can reach out to me, if I don't make the effort to reach out to them, 
that's where I get into trouble. I start to isolate. I start to think that the world is doing a better job of itself than it really is. I start to feel like I'm not worth it. I start to feel, you know, I, I, I joke, I stopped reading, you know, Cosmopolitan magazine in college because it started to make me feel short, fat, and ugly. And, you know, I was not, I was never short. I'm not fat and I'm, you know, I'm okay. So, so, you know, it's, you have to be very careful about what you, you have to be very thoughtful about making sure that you're staying in touch with people because those connections, that's what makes life so great. It is straight up right? through and through those relationships. Yeah. You know, the, it was really hard when my husband died. I didn't like it, but it was some, one of the most beautiful times of my life because people were coming in and reconnecting and people we hadn't seen in years were showing up and calling and talking. And it was this really beautiful, beautiful time where, you know, unfortunately my husband didn't get to be part of it, but where that connection, that humanness came into place. And it was just, it was, it was touching. It was so touching and it was inspiring. And it was the reason that I was able to get up on so many days when I would have just really, I really wanted my heart to just stop beating, mm. yeah. you know? Yeah. No, that, that human connection, that intentionality, that just living life together, I think is yes. what is key. And so anytime somebody can, when there's adversity, you step into life together a little bit faster. But when there's not adversity and it's just your day-to-day -day life, I think those small things you were mentioning really mean a lot. Yep. Points towards like life together. It's points yep. towards life together. So awesome. Well, Kim, what are the top one to two skills you need to develop right now to <laughs> positively impact those 1 million employees by working with those 80,000 managers. Well, I'm really glad I watched your prior podcast because if I hadn't, I would have been like, oh. <laughs> um, so one skill I am working very hard on right now is to understand, I think they call it perform um, personal knowledge management. Mm -hmm. So in my current work right now as a consultant, I have a ton of information constantly coming into me. So for instance, your idea of this licensing, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's great. What do I do with that information? Where do I put it? Yeah. Where do I put it where I can remember that it's there? How do I look it up? What questions do I need to be asking myself about this? So I'm, tr I'm trying to really work hard on putting together a, no a personal knowledge system that's working. And it is a trial and error and it's overwhelming. And there are times I'm like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with a pad of, you know, pen and paper and I'll just find the paper later. Yep. Right. Um, so that's a skill that I think is going to be very, very, very important, especially as I grow and expand my business and hire client service individuals and work for, you know, put together training organization, training programs for big organizations. I need to be able to do that. Um, so that's one. And it's not so much a skill as much as it is a habit as um, I'm really working hard on being kind to myself. Mm. Um, I have a little voice that is pushy and sometimes spot on, like you need to get that done. But also you need to get that done. And you should have gotten it done yesterday. And why did you do it yesterday? Why, you know, you were lazy yesterday. You spent 30 minutes on Instagram. And that's why you didn't get it done yesterday. And, you know, that's not good. And I can't believe you didn't get it done yesterday. Now, what are you going to do? Now you're behind. So that voice that's constantly haranguing me, um, I'm working very hard to pay attention to it. Be like, oh, okay. And then to go, thank you so much for the information. I'm going to continue on doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um 
I've tried avoiding the voice. I've tried running from the voice. I've tried tamping down the voice. I've tried all these things. And what I realized is some, it's like turning into the monster in your dream. When you turn to the monster that's chasing you, the monster goes, whoa, wait a second. Yep. So, so that's what I'm working hard on is being very conscious of that voice when it comes up, paying attention to it, thanking it, honoring it. And then what I notice is when I catch it and do that, it, it, it dissipates because that's what gets in the way of my being more successful. Um, yeah. You know, you can't call them. You said you're going to call them. You know, you met this person in September. It's six months. You can't call them now. You can't reach out to them. You know, they're not going to remember you. It's like all that stuff. And it's like, but that's not, I don't know that that's true. And I'm making it up. And then I start to feel, oh, I won't do this business. This isn't very good. I missed an opportunity. I'm such an idiot because I missed the opportunity. Forgetting that there are a ton of other opportunities always right around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what you talked about, everybody has those thoughts 100%. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I've read some books about letting the thoughts come and letting them go. Yes. And- what you just talked about there of like being aware of it, but not running from it, not trying to stamp it down, but just like letting it be. And then it dissipates, which is such a, like, honestly, it is a skill to like be able to let a thought come and then not necessarily judge yourself for it, but just observe the thought. And then it will yes. start to dissipate. Like yes. there's some mental skill there that yes. wants to develop for sure. Yes. And I will say this, I meditate and that has helped immensely. I just do some mindful meditation and what it does is in the meditation, you know, people often have the idea that meditation is supposed to be quiet. Like even the Dalai Lama talks about monkey brain, which is, okay, I'm going to sit here. I'm breathing one, two, oh shit, I didn't pay that bill. Three, <laughs> four, oh, I got this really good idea. I'm going to write it down before I forget, right? So yep. your mind is constantly going, but what it is, is bringing your mind back. It's that constant bringing your mind back and noticing the space in between the thoughts and the feelings that the thoughts bring up. And so that's why I think I've recently upped the way and how I meditate. And that has been so far, I'm on day 20, I think I'm on day 22 or 23 of this new meditation that I'm doing. And it is up-leveled my game. I'm so much more aware of when that voice starts at me. Um, Not always, but I'm so much more aware and I'm so much more aware of trying to practice of seeing it, hearing it and letting it and thanking it and letting it go. Yeah, 100%. Well, awesome. Um, this might be redundant, but I'm going to ask anyway, just in case you have a different mm-hmm. action. Um, sure. What are the highest impact daily actions that are going to tick the needle forward towards your dreams and goals? I wish I could go grab my, I start doing something, the focus planner, the daily focus planner. It's like a, it's a lot of money. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, um, and I was very hesitant because it is paper. Like you have to, you know, and if, uh, if we have an earthquake, and I don't grab my planner. There it goes, right? <laughs> um, but um, it is something, the the two things that help me the most, the absolute most are one, writing down my three big goals of the day and then everything else, little things I need to get done. And sometimes those little things move it up to the biggest things. So writing those three things a day. And the second thing, which is something I'm also really working on is closing down the end of the day and looking at what I did well. Not looking at all that I didn't get done, but looking at, oh, look, of those three goals, you got two done today. Good job. And then what are you going to do tomorrow? So the I think actually I want to restate that the most important thing, skill for me right now is the end of the day is taking a look at the end of the day, what I accomplished 
and then what I'm going to, what I plan to accomplish tomorrow, because what I accomplished is the fuel to get it done tomorrow. There we go. I love it. And what is one character trait that you most need to develop right now to make your dream life come true? Oh, this I'm not prepared for. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Character trait. When I was writing this question, I just listed off some because I know it could stump people because it stumped me when I asked myself. Sure, um, go for it. I'd love to hear your list. The, the patience, discipline, focus, consistency, accountability, anything along those lines or something that may have resonated while I said those. I think it is. I think it's patience. It's it's like, look, I'm in the long game. Mm-hmm. You know, my company, I want my company to be well-known in 10 years. You know, I want, I want someone at Google to talk to someone at Microsoft who's have a conversation with Honda and they're like, Oh my God, you use Kim's program too. Like I want that. Um, and so it's a long game. And, um, I think it's, you know, I think it is, it's, it's, it's the character trait I most need to develop is it is patience. Cause I get overwhelmed with all the things I think I need to be doing. And that's not, that's the opposite of being patient. It's the opposite of, of trusting the process. It's the opposite of saying, you're going to get this done at the, by the end of the week, this is your goal. And then you have to find time during the week to get it done. And in the middle of that week, I can't go, Oh, but Timmy had that really good idea about licensing. So I'm now going to spend four hours looking up licensing from, you know, ma- making a your program to license them, you know, to a certificate. So it, it, it is, it is absolutely patience. I will say that. Yes. There we go. And if there are one or two people you could meet right now, and this could be a specific person or a type of person, and they'd really help you take that next step towards your dreams and goals, who would they be? And how would they help you? Um, I don't know if it's a specific person, but I would love to meet someone who's done what I what I'm trying to do. Not 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 the business part of it, but grown it from something that they've been very pat that they're passionate about that isn't what everyone else is doing. Um, I I really would love to have that conversation of just like, am I on the right track? And to have them say, I don't know, but here are the questions questions I asked myself to find out if I was on the right track. Right. So I don't, I don't necessarily want the answers. I just want someone who's going to ask me the right questions so I can kind of hone in and figure out what I'm doing um, more on a more regular basis. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think about like the business greats, but I'm not going to be an Amazon. I'm not planning to be a Google. I'm not planning. You know what? Brene Brown. There you go. That's who I'd like to meet. I would love to be coached by her because she is running a business. She knows businesses and she knows that she culturally, she is along the lines of what I talk about. So I would love to be able to speak with Brene Brown um, on what I'm doing and how to move forward to build this business into something that's, that's sustainable and has the opportunity for, um, you know, amazing growth. Awesome. I love it. Well, now we're going to jump into our thriving three, which is a little bit of a breather from the more intense questions we might have. Good. Thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) So the first one is what's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. Um, My favorite podcast switches, but right now I'm I'm listening to 10% Happier. Love it. Love Dan Harris. Really enjoying that. Um, Okay. So that was, that was first question, right? Yep. Or do I have to give you three? Okay. No, just pick one. Just do one. Okay, um, good. Thank you. <laughs> what's one way you like to take care of yourself? I have a whole morning routine that involves meditation, prayer, 
reading. Um, I love exercising right now. I'm just really, I'm like, I, I, you know, I had total knee replacement. I love the challenge of getting my right leg strong. I just love that kind of that incremental challenge. So I, I walk twice a day. I'm working out twice a day, not, not, not working out, but doing my exercises twice a day. Um, so that's really thrilling to me. Um, yeah. So I think those, those are things. And then I really like to spend time um, with my kids if I can, you know, I love we, over Christmas, we did the 10 year plan write out where you sit down and you write where you want to be in 10 years, exactly on that date. So we wrote December 20th. I think, no, we did a little after Christmas. So it's like January 3rd, 20, we looked at 2033 and we all wrote out where we are, what we're doing, you know, what does our surroundings look like? What, you know, um, what does it smell like? What do we feel? Um, so I love doing those kind of things with my kids. It's, it's really, it's a fun exercise. And I think it gives, it helps them kind of expand what, what their possibilities are. So that's a, that's a stupid fun thing to do, but it is a fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about that. Um, we're kind of doing it anyway, if we don't do it intentionally, we get these pictures of our future based on the stimuli that we're receiving every day, regardless. You got it. You got it. That's where you end up. And then you're like, yeah, well, how did I get here. It's like, well, you were yeah. being told and telling yourself the whole 10 years, your thoughts every single day. You know, wow. if you're in a, if you're in a crappy place right now, and I, and I want to be very careful with saying this because it's hard to change your thoughts about what's possible. If you are surrounded by things that are bad, Right. Oh, yeah. If you're surrounded by, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're surrounded, yeah, if you're surrounded in a neighborhood where the opportunities don't seem very well, it's hard to think about other opportunities. But yeah, when people ask, how did I get here? It's like, because you thought this every single day, yep. you either did something around it or you just kind of kept moving forward. Our thoughts are re- there. There's more and more science behind it, proving how powerful our thought systems are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's really like, if you just want to do a little thought exercise about this, if you've never thought it, there is literally 0% chance of it happening. So yeah. <laughs> like you being <laughs> in, a, in a negative environment, like maybe you, it's scary to dream because yeah. you know, your hopes have been crushed and your dreams have been crushed over and over and over. But if you never dare to dream, it's like you have a 0% chance. Like it may tick yeah. it up to a 0.1% chance of happening. Yep. Maybe that's the case for you because that's the situation you're in right now. But at least think about it, at least dream about it. And you'll start to see how things kind of come together over the years. Yes. It really is shocking. Um, yes. And I think the other thing too, is I think sometimes people, when they're thinking about material things, like I want to be earning million dollars. And if you're, if you're, if you don't have a college degree or you're just getting out of high school and you're not going to college, the idea of earning a million dollars just seems way far away. So what I have learned to focus on is focusing on my purpose, like serving people, like well, who is it I want to serve? Who is it I want to help? And even if it means if I have a million dollars, which will get you, won't even get you a house in a LA. So you, know, you got to be kind of, you know, in LA, if you, you know, you want a house, you want to buy your mother a house, you got to earn like $4 million, $5 million. Yep. And that'll get you a decent house with some, and that'll be it. Um, so, 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 but I think it's really important. Like sometimes I get, I get focused on, I need to earn money. And then I feel lost and I don't feel good. When I focus on, there's a manager out there right now whose employee just committed suicide and he or she does not know what to do and they're bereft, they're grieving, they're terrified and their above manager can't help them and HR isn't helping them and they don't know what to do. 
If I focus on serving that person of making sure I can get that information to that person, then, then, then it's, it, it's, it's, then, then the million dollars doesn't feel so far away. So it's really focusing on how, how am I going to serve somebody to do something? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, cool. Well, we're going to jump ahead to okay. an action step that you can take I'm right now. I'm so excited. Like this or- is the best interview I've had in a while. <laughs> <laughs> like awesome. I can't wait for the next thing. I'm like, okay, what are we doing next? <laughs> <laughs> what is a, what is an action step you can take right now or continue to take if you're already doing it to meet and work with Brene Brown? I would love to just go see her speak. I mean, she's speaking in public um, right now, so I can probably sign up and do that. I think she has some type of live events every now and then, and I can probably do that. Um, I would like to read, I haven't read her most recent book and that feels passive, but I feel like I am not quite at the place where I can articulate. Hmm, Let me think about that for a second. So yeah, I think, I think I could go find a live event and buy a ticket, you know, show up <laughs> or I could just, I could just stalk her. I could just fly to Texas and see what happens. <laughs> Is she in Texas? Yeah. She lives in Texas. She's born and bred proud Texan. Yeah. What, uh, what's proud, proud. Um, I think Houston, but I'm not 100% sure. It's not Austin, but which is what we would, you know, if you're a, if you're a liberal Democrat, you think she's in Austin. That's the only town she could be in. But no, she's I think she's in Houston. Yeah. 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 I'm in Austin. So that's funny. Are you? OK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to like throw that at you. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Um, but cool. I love that. And you know what? I'm going to take that and look at that. I'm going to take that and look at that. Like what if I if I, if I really want to meet Brene Bound, what do I need to do today? They'll get me one step closer, which is what the daily planner is all about. Like, what's the one, what's the three things you can do today? They're going to get closer to reaching that goal that you want to reach at the end of the quarter. Yeah. Right? And it's not, it's not the big chunks. It's the, do you need to write that email? Do you need to make that phone call? Right. It's, you know. And I, I think so, another really cool way to think about it, when I thought about kind of networking, because I'm really big into real estate and I just love the real estate space, apartment syndication, right. all the good stuff. And when you think about networking with people who have a lot more like just influence than you or money and they're a bit harder to reach, it's like, how can you add enough value to their life yes. to like make your relationship with them indispensable? And you start yes. coming up with some more creative ideas that are, you know, like a lot of people will just send a book to a famous person, but it's like, they don't know you. They don't want to read their book. Why would they want to read it? You know? <laughs> exactly. And, so. and, and I, and I like that because what I do is right along the lines of her, but I need to draw some more lines. I need to relook at her work and draw more lines into what I'm doing. Um, because it is, you know, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's compassion it's, it's managing from your heart, which is what she talks about. Yep. Um, but I need to do that in a way that really makes sense to her. So yeah, that's, that's great. See, I told you, I love this podcast. I love <laughs> when I learn something new. It's very, it's always very, um, very thrilling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, happy to help. That's what the show is here. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, we got a couple more questions for you and we only got about four minutes. So we're going to run. Okay. Okay. I have to kind of put behind this. You have an option to answer these because they can get a bit personal. Okay. Here we go. What is one limiting belief that continues to pop up in your life? If any. 
that I'm that because no one else has done this before, it's it's a stupid thing for me to go after. And where does that come from? I just always want a leader. I want someone to show me how to do it instead of taking the chance and being led instead of changing the chance and leading myself. I gotcha. I gotcha. And do you have any limiting actions that come as a result of this limiting belief? So you think this belief and you're like, I it's called, it's called Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, they, they do their job very well. I don't do TikTok because I think I would probably be, that would be the end of me. But sometimes what happens is the limiting belief. I'm at night, I'm tired, my brain is tired and I should be shutting down. And instead I think I'll just pop on for half an hour and for 15 minutes. And next thing you know, I'm I'm on there for an hour, hour and a half. I'm not sleeping. I haven't read what I wanted to read. I'm not winding down the way I want to wind down. And I think that that's where that limiting belief comes from. It's just this fear of like, how come no one has done this before? There's so many more people out there who are smarter, brighter, who have more business experience than me or you know bigger hr names how come no one is doing this before and if no one has done this before maybe i'm not in the right place mm. so it is this it is this constant battle you know but i heard a quote yesterday that said if you know you know how you predict the future you make it yeah. <laughs> so 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 i'm remembering that that's how i'm predicting my future i'm making i'm making this business i'm making this future for myself and for all these other managers those million employees I love it. I love it. And we're going to end on this question. If you were to change that limiting belief of it's stupid because nobody else has done it into an abundant phrase that really spoke to your heart, what would that phrase be? Man, I need more than a minute. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. You you can take a little bit more time. Okay. Like two minutes. (laughs) Okay. Um, um, There is nothing that has been invented today that wasn't in somebody's imagination at some point. Yeah. I mean, I can just, you know, first of all, all the books behind me, even that that wooden thing that says be awesome today, someone came up with that and said, we're going to put it on this piece of wood. We're going to paint it blue and white. This silly kind of chicken here that I love. Someone said, this is going to make, I got this from a store. I would love the chicken. I was like, I need that chicken. So someone decided that they were going to make this. Someone decided they were going to make this. Someone decided they were going to make these sparkly balls like as Christmas ornaments. So I think that I can remember that that there's nothing that I see, do, touch, or feel that someone else hasn't visioned in their head first, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be here. Absolutely. There we go. Well, Kim, that's all we got for you. Is there anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? (laughs) Yeah. Can I come back next week? Get more inspired? I got a whole story I can tell you about the death. I mean, we could talk for days. I I do I do want to share with everyone. Um, I shared with you one thing never to say to an employee or friend or family member who's dealing with cancer or loss or death. Um, but there are four other really crucial statements that are commonly said and four other things that you need to say instead. So if anyone is interested in that, they can go to my website at 100actsoflove.com and that's the number the number 100 actsoflove.com backslash what not to say no spaces, no capitals, what not to say. And you'll get the free download of four phrases never to say 
what to say instead and why those phrases are not good phrases to say. Because I think it's important that we understand, we start to start to take apart why we say the things we say and why they're not helpful. Um, I do LinkedIn Lives every single Thursday. So whether you are an employee, a manager, a leader, just some stranger on the street, and you have a question on what do you say, what's the best gift for someone who you don't know very well, but who's going through a hard time, you know, anything like that. How do I, how do you deal with the emotions of grief at work? If you have any of those questions, please go ahead and DM me on LinkedIn. And I will take the time to answer your question on LinkedIn Live. Don't worry, I won't identify you. Um, so those are the two. Those are the two places that I, you know, I, I post. I, I um, do blog posts every week. I'm also on Instagram. I do a Tuesday Tip Day where I read a tip from my book, and I talk about that tip. So you can join me there. But yeah, I'm all over the place. And and I think the last thing that I want people to remember, which is what I started off with, with your great question, Timmy, was you really matter. And I want people to not lose touch with that, you know, and that person in your life that's really struggling right now, they need you and they don't need Timmy, the perfectionist or Janet, the, you know, the, the, the sloppy one, whatever it is, they need you to show up as Janet of who they know who you are. So if you're the jokester, show up and tell them jokes. You know, if you're the serious one, if you're the planner, sit down and say, I want to help you plan like, but just show up. They need you and you need them. Mm, Kim, I love that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Timmy. It's really quite a joy. Hey, love to have you. And if you guys are listening to this and you loved what Kim had to say, make sure to check her out. All the links to do so will be down in the show notes. Thank you guys for watching. We will see you on the next one. And on that note, we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.